Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Father, I'm so grateful for the Song of Solomon and so thankful for our time together. And I just pray that as we have a scripturally unorthodox kind of conversation, that you would use it for your glory in relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say as we walk through this, there's probably going to be some one of you that goes, wow, I wish I would have done it that way, or we should be doing it like that. The goal of Song of Solomon is to give us a standard of which we are to live by. And so Pastor Nacho and Pastor Dennis, Pastor Pat, they are going to be here after service to be able to pray with you and to be able to walk through maybe some things that you want to walk through even with your significant other, your spouse or in the person in your relationship. Now, I know we've got people here that are in relationship, people that want to be in relationship, people that really need to get married. Arlen, I love you. I think you're the best. Um, Adrian, he's such a great guy. Yes, amen? Okay, great. Um, Sue, you may want to sit next to them through this whole <laughs> experience. Song of Solomon, it's, it's the, the way it's written in Hebrews is the song of songs. In other words, it's the best of all that Solomon wrote. Now, I need to let you know, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32... Solomon, we discover that Solomon wrote over 1,005 stories. He wrote over 1,005 of these stories, and this story made it to the Bible. It's the best of the best of all of the stories that he wrote. Now, a lot of theologians believe that he wrote this early on as like a first love kind of communication, and that he wrote it when he first met the Queen of Sheba, and they were in love with each other, and they just, he just wrote the story based on their love relationships. Now, some other people think that he wrote it after his 700 wives experience. Can you imagine this? 700. Now, I love my wife, okay? I love my wife, but I can't imagine 700 managing 700 wives, okay? Um, We had a guy in Liberia, had three wives and 22 children, and he was actually pastoring the church that wanted to connect with us at Calvary Chapel. So we said, hey, listen, in that culture, don't get rid of your wives because that would, extra, that would excommunicate them from society and culture. But we can't have you serve in leadership. And with three wives, he would always tell me, I don't know why I did this. I have no idea why this. I can't imagine 700 wives. Now, There's four ways to interpret the Song of Solomon, okay? The first is Jesus and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, husband and wife on earth represent Christ and the church. Another way that scholars take a look at Song of Solomon is they look at it as Israel 
and God. And we look at Hosea as an example in this love relationship that God has with the nation of Israel, expresses it through Hosea and Gomer, who... um, Gomer goes out and she has an extramarital affair. Now listen, if your wife is named Gomer, I always think of Gomer Pyle whenever I hear of her name. So the fact that you, the, her name was Gomer should have like set an alarm off in Hosea's mind in the first place. But she goes off and adulterates the marriage. And Jake, Lexi, how, how are you guys? Glad you're here. <laughs> Sunday nights is different. I'm just thankful that you're here. Let's give it up for Jake and Lexi, you know. They're staying at my house, so I want them to know how loved they are. Another way that we look at this is a protest against infidelity. In other words, the writer writes it, Solomon writes it to talk about all of his infidelity, and he sums it up allegorically with one particular story. Um, Now, I think it could be one of all three, but the one that we're going to look at and we're going to explore is the way to have a proper relationship. The way to have a biblical relationship. Because let me tell you why. The world thinks it does a good job of teaching us about sex. They think they do a great job. In fact, they think they have the corner on the market when it comes to how to have sex, what to do with sex, and how that we are supposed to be in relationship with each other, and how a husband and wife, or how a partner, or how whatever, they think they've got the corner of the market. But can I remind you guys of something? God created it. And there's something about the owner's manual You always refer to it if you screw things up. My sons, they got a desk one time, and they thought, we're not looking at the owner's manual. We're going to put this thing together. When I went in the room, the desk looked like this, okay? The drawer, like, couldn't shut. The desk looked like this. I'm like, did you put A to A and B to B? Did you even look at the directions? And they said, no, why would we need to look at the directions? Look at the desk. That's why you need to look at the directions. And if we want to learn about intimacy, the best place to look for it is the one who created it. The best place to understand what the relationship should always be is the one who gave it to us as a gift. And so we're going to take a look at how he directs us away from the way of the world to enjoy this incredible gift by his design. Now, I know I said Song of Solomon, but we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think, helps us understand the context of the Song of Solomon. I'm going to begin there in verse 1. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So they had asked a question about relationships and about intimacy. The church has always been interested, and they were doing it wrong. I mean, this church had a guy who was going to the church who was sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, so we know that it possibly was not his mother, but he's sleeping with his father's wife. So they've got some questions about sexual immorality. They've got some questions about intimacy. So they send him a letter and they write this question out. Look at Paul's advice. Every single man underline this verse. If you're single, raise your hand. Single, raise your hand. Single, where are you? Single, open your Bible, take out your pen, okay? And I want you to hear this. It is good for a man 
not to touch a woman. All single men say that verse with me. We're going to memorize it right now. Here we go. Ready? It is. Okay. I don't hear the passion. I don't hear like the heart. Okay. Let's say it. Arlen, ready? Okay. Here we go. It is good for a. Keep going. Let's say it like a Pentecostal preacher, okay? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Every single man always asks me, how far is too far? If you got to ask that question, there's a problem with your heart. Because the Bible is very clear that it is good, say with me, those of you that memorized it, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. All of the couples that are not married yet, they just kind of scooted over a little bit like this. Now take a look. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, because of the way that the world has taught you about sex, I need to make the record straight. Because of the Corinthian. Now, when you said Corinth, you thought of every form of sexual immorality that was out there. In fact, being a Corinthian, everyone thought you were Las Vegas. You know what we think of when we think Las Vegas. I remember driving through Las Vegas and the billboards themselves, I had to drive like this and I asked the person with me, can you even grow children here? This was Corinth. Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And what we're going to read in the Song of Solomon is a measure of ownership. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. There's something beautiful about a man with a woman and a woman with a man. Now look at verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. And let me add, pornography does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Ladies, listen up. Your body's not your own. You can't roll over and say, no way, not tonight. And listen to this. Guys, your body is not your own. You can't always say it's time. You see, there is a camaraderie that happens in a relationship. Dennis and Sue, why are you laughing? <laughs> what, what did she just whisper to you? Okay, Arlen, you and Adrian need to go sit by them, I think. All right, now, here's the deal. You can't just roll over and go, no way. Because women tend to use intimacy as a measure of control. And men tend to always want intimacy. So there's something that's got to happen where the couple communicates and has a connection. Now, how many of you are already uncomfortable? We haven't even started verse 1 yet of Song of Solomon. Like, I'm trying to make this as comfortable as we possibly can. 
You see, he writes this because he wants to set the record straight. God has to correct what the world has corrupted. Did you hear that? So he's given us an entire book in the Bible of the design for a man and a woman to render the affection due. And this is what the entire Song of Solomon is about. It's about rendering the affection one to another. It's the biblically right way to do this. So chapters one through three is going to be about their dating relationship. In other words, how to be single and glorify God. Chapters four through eight is going to talk about marriage and what it means to be married and how we can be married to glorify God. And so what we're going to do now, you might say, well, maybe I'm not going to come to Song of Solomon chapters one through three because we're already married. No, no, no. Pouring a good foundation, there might be some conviction that may relate. Let me give an example. Whenever I'm doing a marriage counseling with someone and I see that the wife does not respect the husband and that the husband does not love the wife, I ask one question. Were you engaged with premarital sex? 10 out of 10, the answer is yes. You see, premarital sex is exciting and exhilarating. It's adventure, but it's really a piece of bait on a hook because what the man is doing is really discipling his wife to rebel against God's command. And so before marriage, it's, the, it's got the bait, it's the hook. But in marriage... That discipleship of rebellion, now I don't want to respect my husband because I didn't respect my God prior to getting married. And I don't want to love my wife because rebellion before marriage may be exciting, but rebellion in marriage is not that fun. And so we're going to have to take a look at our premarital relationship and realize there might be some fundamental things that we need to go to God for and say, I repent, or this needs to change in our marital life. Let's take a look at where it started. See, God said something powerful. It's not good for a man to be alone. And Song of Solomon for us is going to explain how people come together and how they stay together. I need to warn you, Song of Solomon is poetically graphic in nature. There are two intimate scenes in the Song of Solomon. There are series of ways that they communicate to each other, and God makes intimacy so poetic. Now, this book, I need to let you know something. Young Jewish boys couldn't read this book until their bar mitzvah until they became of age. Their parents said, no, 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 PG-13. You've got to wait until you're 13 years old before you can read this book. Oh, you go to Leviticus, stay out of Song of Solomon. They didn't let them even read this book because it is got a lot of adult material that is in it. All right? Let's take a look. Go with me to Song of Solomon. You ready to dig in? You ready to dig in? Maria's like, yes. Go ahead, Albert. You can hold her hand. All right? Perfect. All right, let's take a look. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. In other words, the best of the best. Now take a look at verse 2. 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. Now, wait, I know some of you are going, wait a second, I thought they were dating. Why does it begin with French kissing? Take a look. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, let me put this in modern English. Let him kiss me, let him kiss me, let him keep kissing me. In the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, just keep kissing me, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Now, if you feel the need right now to go ahead and kiss your spouse, you're more than welcome to. Jimmy? No one bit? My goodness, Andre will have to be here next week. All right. Goes right into passion. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I need to remind you of something. Our couple is already married when this is written. And so this book is actually a reflective drama of their relationship. And she says about their relationship, we are so in love. Just let him kiss me. She comes in, kiss me again. He goes out and he smells all, kiss me now. He goes, takes a shower and come, kiss me again. Let him just keep kissing me. They are radically in love with one another. Let me tell you something about love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Bible says, the nature of love is that it grows and abounds. I'm embarrassed the way that I loved Andrea when we first got married. She was my blonde, hot Christian babe. I, I, I used to love just to like let people see me with her at Florida Atlantic University. Like she was 1980 hot. Like, I mean, she had hair out to here. Do you remember? And like when you touch one side, it was like a helmet. The whole thing just moved. Okay, she had the shoulder pads. Okay, I don't know if you know this about my wife. She was the queen of Northeast High School. Two page, full page spread of Andrea with hair and shoulder pads. I mean, blonde and beautiful. I was surfer. It was like, come on, I'm embarrassed because we're going to be married almost, we'll be married 30 years. The way I love her today is so different than the way that I loved her back then. Our love, by definition, has grown and abounded. You see, when we love like the way of the world, love grows cold. Love goes stagnant. When it's really lust and not love, then it begins to wane in the course and context of our relationship. I'm going to tell you something really gross, okay? Yes, I'm going to tell you. Our marriage mentors were 80 years old. Okay, when we got married, we used to drive three hours from Fort Lauderdale to Tampa. Okay, and we were four hours, we'd go every month, and they would uh, counsel us. We did this for three, four years. And um, we would stay the weekend with them, and Marilyn was her name, Ver, uh, was his name, um, and uh, they were from Ireland. 
And uh, Marilyn told Andrea, I've never been in an argument with him. That was our first session. I didn't care how long we were going to drive. We were going to keep driving so that that woman could disciple my wife. And she said this, I never thought I was good enough to get married. I just thought I was such a plain Jane that no one would ever fall in love with me. And when he fell in love with me, I'd made the Lord a promise that I would never argue with him. And I looked at him, I go, come on, tell me the truth. She's never argued with me. We called the kids. There's five of them. They were missionaries in Kenya. We called all five of them. Please tell us. No, she never argued with him. I looked at Andrea. I said, wherever this woman goes, we will follow. (laughs) Now listen, I was at a pastor's conference. She wasn't with him for two days. Two days. I'm sitting talking to him at this pastor's conference in Merritt Island, Florida. She comes over from Tampa, about an hour and a half journey. She sees him at the door. He sees her. And all of a sudden, dun, 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 dun. You see it in the church. Dun, dun, dun. And you know, they're 80. So like everything is like moving. Okay? Super gross. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. It's almost like they're flying to each other. You know, it's like my grandmother, when she would wave, this would wave. It was, they're just like flying. Okay, and it's like, she literally, eight years old, jumps in his arms. And you know, it's like how you're a little wrinkly at 80 and like, like your mouth is not as like tight as what is it? They make out like, <laughs> like in the church. Like there are flesh going everywhere. I don't know how to describe this. It was the most beautiful, awkward, ugly thing I'd ever seen in my life. But they, to me, were like the picture of love grows and abounds. Now, one Sunday, Andrea's going to be here. I'm going to be teaching one day. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) They weren't afraid to express their passion. And poetically, she says, your love is better than wine. I am intoxicated with you. They are married. Their love has grown and abound. It's not waned. It's not emptied. Now, the world will tell you, get a divorce in five to ten years. Who can make it past that? No, no, no. This couple is radically in love. She knows him so well. She, and this is their testimony. Now, I need to explain. She is writing a journal, and that's the way that Solomon writes this, about their love relationship. And what she's going to do is describe their courting relationship, describe their marriage, describe their love for one another. She's going to throw in a couple of fights, and then she's also going, and she's also going to throw in how they make up in those fights. And then she's going to get to the back to where they're 80 years old again and express, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. But take a look where this begins. Look at verse 3. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Ladies, oftentimes you get stuck there. You like the ointments. The good ointments. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. That bicep. Those abs, that chest. 
Oh, you know, the first date's always got to be to the beach, right? So we can go swimming, take off the shirt. And when you see the ointments, she looks at him and goes, I love those ointments. He's 80. He's 80. And she's still in love with his body, flab and all. She is still attracted to him, like his good ointments. But ladies, don't get stuck there because biceps that are like a mountain peak become a very deep valley. (laughs) A chest that pops out to here sometimes needs a belt. Like understand, muscles don't last. You can't get stuck on good hair because it will fall out, okay? You can't look at him and go, I'm going to marry that hunk of a man and let that be your only standard because she says, not only do you got good ointments, she says, your name is good ointments, your name. Now, let me tell you what name means in the Bible. You have a good character. You have a good conduct. You've got good behavior. You see, turn with me. Okay, ladies, you're looking for a man. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Everyone, let's go there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, you're looking for a man. And gentlemen, this should describe you. So you've got to evaluate yourself based on the checklist I'm about to give. Now take a look. Let's go through it. This is a faithful saying. In other words, this is the way to live faith. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Now let me tell you what Paul said to Titus. Everyone should desire and be zealous for good works. So every man in here should be desire to be a church leader. No man in here should ever say, well, I go to church. Every man in here should say, I'm going to become the kind of man that can be a church leader. We need to be zealous as men for these characteristics. Now take a look. A bishop or a leader then must be blameless. Blameless. The husband of one wife. Now, let me explain what this means, ladies. A one-woman man. If you go out on a date with a guy, and as you're on this date with this guy, and he's looking at you and the waitress that goes by, and the lady that went to the bathroom, and the lady that just went and sat down, and, and you're constantly like, hello, I'm here, uh, I'm here. He is not a one-woman man, get rid of him. Say goodbye. But I love him. You love his looks, not his character. You see, the character of a leader is a one-woman man. Andrea is the only woman for me. And you've got to be able to rest assured if you're going to say, I'm going to get married. Ladies, you've got to look at his character. Is he a one-woman man? Is he temperate? Does he have a stability about him? Is he sober-minded? Does he think clearly or is he emotional? Does he have a good behavior? Is he hospitable? Is he able to teach? In other words, does he know the Bible? Is he not given to wine? Like when he prays for the food, does he go, God is good, God is great, let him thank us for this food. I mean, like that's a problem. 
When he prays at night, does he go, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Like, if he's not a man of the word and praying the word, that should be a red light indicator to you. He's not given to wine. He's not violent. He's not greedy for money. He's gentle, not quarrelsome. In other words, he's not picking a fight with you all the time. He's not covetous or wants everything that he doesn't have. One who rules his own house well. He pays his bills. He's responsible at work. He has his children in submission with all reverence. In other words, he's, let's say he doesn't have kids, but he's got spiritual people that he's discipling. Gentlemen, this describes the kind of man that's in Song of Solomon. Are you willing to become this? Now go back with me to Song of Solomon. Let's take a look. Because this kind of man, let's see what happens. Look at verse 3. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, ladies, don't just look at the ointments, your name is ointment poured forth, therefore the virgins love you. That's important. This guy is so good, virgins love him. In other words, the right kind of girl is looking for the right kind of man. The right kind of girl, the pure, the girl that's following after God, is going to find the man that's pure, following after God. The man that desires to live that kind of standard, he's going to look for a woman that has that kind of standard. You know what I love about my wife? And you guys are going to hear a lot of stories, and I'm going to be honest, and Andrea's giving me permission. She's spiritually stronger than me, but I'm supposed to be the leader. And you know what that does for me? It challenges me to stay ahead and lead. She doesn't ever throw it in my face. She doesn't ever be like, well, I prayed for five hours today. How long did you pray about it? No, she doesn't do that because she's spiritual. And because she's spiritual, even if we have a disagreement, she doesn't come to me with it. She goes to God with it. She believes that the Holy Spirit can change me better than she can change me. And so she'll go to the Lord, and sometimes the Lord will tell her, Andrea, no, that's your problem, not his. Sometimes the Lord will say, I'm working on it. Trust me, I'm going to bring him to his knees in about two days. I mean, she will go to the Lord and say to the Lord, hey, listen, there's an issue going on in our marriage and I need you to help me and step in. I was looking for a woman that could spiritually challenge me. I was looking for a woman that I could lead and would force me to stay ahead. I didn't want a woman that uh, I had to like, teach her the ABCs of Christianity. I wanted a woman that had a relationship with Jesus and was more in love with Jesus than she would ever be in love with me. And I found her in Andrea Arco, who became Andrea Lowe. Listen, I love the fact that she's so spiritually strong. It doesn't threaten me. It inspires me. It encourages me. Now take a look at verse 4. Draw me away. We'll run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We'll be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. 
Now, I look at, take a look back at this for just a minute. Draw me away. In other words, I got to get out of here. We're going to run after you. All these virgins, all these ladies are running after this guy. And even though all these girls want this guy, he only wants her. He says, the king has brought me into his chambers. Now remember, they're about to go and have an intimate moment, but this is a journal entry. And what she's doing, she is talking about their marriage. She's going to go back to their premarital relationship in just a moment, but she is remembering their marriage and how she was swept off of her feet and they got married. And then he brought her into the chambers. We're actually going to read all about it. They're married in this particular portion. And I love this. Have you ever got a wedding invitation of a couple and it's like, oh, they're getting married? She's marrying him? Have you ever got one you're like, oh, he's marrying her? Like, wow. Have you ever gotten one of those? We get them all the time. We get them all the time. People that were like, don't do this. Like, don't, no, not to him. Like, or not to her. Like, you need to give this time. You need to watch and observe. Who wants to go to a wedding where you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe he's marrying her? Or, I can't believe she's marrying him, not this couple. Everyone is looking at the way this couple did it, and they're saying, rightly, do you love him? He's a good, godly guy. She's the one for you. They have built a testimony in their marriage, and here's their testimony. They glorified God. This is the kind of marriage you want. So to have that kind of marriage, you need to pour that kind of foundation before your wedding. Listen, young couples, those of you that are not married, it's important for you to recognize the foundations that you are pouring now, you will build off of for the rest of your marital life. And so, pour spiritual foundations. Pray together. Discuss the word together. Memorize scripture together. Insert spiritual things foundationally into your marriage. Andre and I have done devotions our whole marital life because when we were premarital, we prayed together. We discussed about the word together and then we've done it with our family. In fact, we had devotions twice a day. We had devotions in the morning. We had devotions in the evening. And you should have seen the devotions in the morning. Andre would start singing. Waking up all of the kids. And then they'd come out like this. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. And Andrew would go, for the Lord has done great. And sometimes I would walk in the room, rise and shine and give God the, and they'd go, glory, glory. And as much as they mocked us, it's the one thing they remember about us. As much as they said it was miserable, they can't wait to do it with their children. I can't wait. I can't. You know, I've got eight grandkids, and I can't wait for some of my other children to have children. I'm just going to smile when they are rebellious and when they do all kinds of things. And they're going to look at me, was I like this? Yes. Oh, yes, you were. God bless you. 
and I'm going to give them ice cream and candy and send them home. I am. Listen, in your premarital relationship, you might be looking back, married, going, we didn't do it right. We didn't pour a good foundation. We're struggling because we didn't pour a good foundation. We're building on cracks. The beautiful thing about that is that God offers redemption. God cleanses and purifies. God renews, restores, and redeems. And if he can make a blind man see, he can redeem, restore, and renew your marriage. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. But marriage is worth fighting for because you represent Christ and the church. And gentlemen, when you get to heaven, God is going to ask us about the responsibility that we took on ourselves by taking on a wife. Did you wash her with the word? And tonight might be an opportunity for you to say, listen, God, forgive us for the way that we entered into marriage. Redeem our marriage. Restore our marriage. Renew our marriage. God alone can do that. Let the church say, amen. Amen. Take a look at verse 5. We enter into the courting relationship. This is day one of her journal. Let's take a look at what she writes. I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, in other words, dark like the tents of Kedar, or lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. Stop there if you would for just a moment. She begins with the description of herself. She says, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. She's authentic. She's genuine. She's not plastic. She's not shallow. She's not She is just communicating something about herself to her man. I am dark and I'm lovely. Now, you've got to remember, she has been affected by Solomon. So when she's writing this journal, they've been married for a little while, and she is giving what Solomon thinks about her. And we're going to understand that in just a moment. She says, listen, I'm dark on the outside. But on the inside, I'm lovely like the curtains flowing in Solomon's house. Gentlemen, don't judge a book by its cover. Pretty outside does not mean pretty inside. Did you hear me? And gentlemen, we tend to be attracted by what we see. And we've got to be careful because visual is what excites the man. And she's saying, I'm dark like Kadar, like the, like the tents of Kadar, but I'm also lovely inside. She is communicating a truth about herself that every man should look for. Turn with me to 1 Peter, ladies, now I'm on you. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Take a look. 1 Peter chapter 3, 
Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Don't just have the good outside. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, and let me put that in common language, okay? Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Fixing your hair, buying all your jewelry, wearing your Gucci, okay? Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, listen. Ladies, listen. Now, I was hard on the guys, so stay with me, ladies. Which is very precious in the sight of God, not your husband. God looks at a gentle and quiet woman and goes, my daughter, my daughter. I was doing a marriage couple. I was doing a marital couple counseling. Hard word to find. I don't know why. She comes in. Hi, Pastor Jet. Whoa. True story. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Okay, what's the problem? Now, it was obvious to me at this point what was going on. My husband doesn't love me. And he looked at her and goes, she's right. (laughs) Okay, okay, things are. Then she goes, he says I'm loud. I'm loud all the time. But this is how God made me. I'm just loud. Whole gentle and quiet thing. How can I be gentle and quiet? This house, I was just been made. He looked at me and he goes, would you love that? (laughs) I am not kidding. And I looked at him and I go, dude, like this is a problem. He goes, I know. I go, no, you're the problem. You have not loved this woman properly. She goes, I told you. (laughs) This is honestly how it went. And I looked at her and I said this. God has called you to be gentle and quiet. The world has made you loud and you're blaming it on God. But God has called you and given you the power of his spirit to become what he wants you to be. The room was silent. So often we blame God for our personality that the world has formed. And that's why he's given us his word so we know exactly what he wants to inform in you. Gentlemen, when you're looking for a woman, don't attach gentle and quiet to a lack of strength because let me tell you something. My wife, Asu, is very strong. She, let me, any woman that will go to a war-torn country with me and all of her children and live in a war-torn country. Let me tell you something. My wife, true story. We had a monkey. It was given to us by a rebel, okay? This monkey was like my favorite animal, okay? I loved this monkey. One day, this monkey, we took the door off, and this monkey threw the door on my two-year-old child. Micaiah went into seizures, throwing up, and the whole deal. Once we got him settled... My wife ran outside. 
She climbed a tree, grabbed the monkey by the neck. Now, no one in the whole community could ever catch this monkey. She climbed a tree, grabbed the monkey by the neck, brought it down, and she was twisting the monkey like this, saying, we're going to have monkey tonight. And I said to her, Andrea, people are watching you. She goes, let them watch me rip her neck, his neck off. Don't mess with Mama Bear when it comes to her children. Trust me. Trust me, Renee. True? Renee's like one of my Andrea's closest friends. She is a strong woman. She submits to me. She submits her thoughts. She submits her heart. She submits her life. She's not barefoot and pregnant like the perversion of what the church has created in this word. No, no, no. This word submit does not mean she lacks strength. It takes strength to be gentle and quiet. It takes strength to be the woman of God that God has called you to be. Ladies, Gentle and quiet is not derogatory. Gentle and quiet pleases God. Amen? Good job, husbands, on not saying amen. Good job. Now, I want you to see something about our woman. She's revealing something that every woman struggles with. Every woman, every woman. Go back with me to Song of Solomon. Every woman struggles with this one word. I'm dark, but I'm lovely. Don't look at me, because I'm dark. See, the sun's tanned me, and having a tan back then was not good. What it meant was you were a farmer, that you were not in the upper echelon of society, because the people that were in the upper echelon, they weren't tanned, because they didn't have to work out in the sun. And so she goes, don't look at me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard, in other words, my own life, I have not kept. Now stop there for a moment. She's revealing something about her. I'm dark but lovely. Don't look at me because I'm dark. Gentlemen, all women struggle with insecurity. All women struggle with insecurity. Don't look at me. That's her opinion of herself. You see, it's the husband's job, and we're going to see Solomon do this so well. It's the husband's job to build up his wife. It's the husband's job to make her feel like she's the only woman in the world. It's the husband's job to help his wife come to her fruition and to bloom as a flower. She's going to get to the point where she's no longer saying, I'm dark, don't look at me. She's going to say, I'm the rose of Sharon. Solomon invests words of life into her and takes her to a place of insecurity, to a place of security. But I want you to also see how this verse reveals her character. Take a look at what she says. She says, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of of the vineyards. This woman has a lifetime of being submissive to authority. Gentlemen, get to know the woman that you're going to marry before you marry her. 
How does she talk about her boss? How does she talk about her friends? How does she talk to her parents? Go to her parents' house. Does she even have a relationship with her parents? Let me tell you something. You might think that everything's great with you, but if you look at her history and see that she's not respected authority, trust me, one day it's going to be you when you've got to give some direction. She was submissive to authority. But I also want you to see what else about this woman. She says, but my own vineyard, I've not kept. She's teachable. She recognizes there are things about her life that need to change. She's teachable. She wants to be washed with the water of the word. My wife has sat for 35 years. We've known each other. And she still takes as much notes as she did the first day. She's heard every story of mine. She has, and she still laughs. I'm like, Andre, I'll go home. I'm like, you laughed again. She goes, I just think it's so funny. Really? Like you've heard it 60 times. I know, but I'm just waiting for you to get to the punchline because I know where it's going and no one else knows where it's going. So now that's funny to me that I know what everyone else doesn't know. I'm telling you, my wife lives in a plane that I have no, we have no idea. We, all of us, the children and me, we always ask her, how do we get there? We would like to get there. We don't know. She goes, Jesus, you guys just need a little more Jesus. Thank you, Andrea. That felt great. Church, listen. Do you see who this woman is? And do you see who this man is? And we're gonna, what we're going to find in their relationship is because they chose to be personally holy, their relationship will be corporately holy. Gentlemen, if you want your wife to love God, set an example. And ladies, if you want your husband to follow after God, set an example. The Bible says for those who don't believe in 1 Peter chapter 3, even if your husband doesn't believe, win him over by your good moral chase conduct. I met with a woman today and I had to encourage her in the midst of her marital struggle, win him over. You choose to be the woman of God that God has called you to be and watch how God will use your holiness in the home to change him. It's just true. Amen? Thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.